These are readings appointed for Sunday, December 24th, 2023, the fourth Sunday of Advent in year B. Let us pray. Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us. And as we are sorely hindered by our sins from running the race that is set before us, let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory, now and forever. Amen. Beloved of God, in this holy season, we rejoice that Christ, our Savior, has come to dwell among us, the Word made flesh. Though Mary was obscure and unaware, God chose her to bear the Son through the power of the Spirit. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's ancient promise to David to establish his throne forever. On the cross, Jesus reconciled all things to God, bringing us forgiveness and adoption as God's children. As those of his reconciliation, let us proclaim the good news of abundant life offered in God's anointed one, our Lord, our Savior, and our brother, Jesus Christ. Again, we're following the new format for Lectio. So after reading the scriptures, I have a conversation with Jim McNeely, particularly centering on the mystery of Mary's virginity. All right. Our first reading is 2 Samuel 7, 1 through 17. Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all the places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and I have cut off your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, 
I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. The psalm is Psalm 132. Lord, remember David and all his tribulations, how he swore unto the Lord and vowed a vow unto the Almighty God of Jacob. I will not climb within the tabernacle of my house, nor climb up into my bed. I will not allow my eyes to sleep, nor my eyelids to slumber, neither the temples of my head to take any rest, until I find a place for the temple of the Lord, a habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. Lo, we heard of the ark at Ephrathah, and found it in the wood. We will go into his tabernacle and fall low on our knees before his footstool. Arise, O Lord, into your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints sing with joy. For your servant David's sake, turn not away the presence of your anointed. The Lord has made a faithful oath unto David, and he shall not shrink from it. Of the fruit of your body shall I set upon your throne. If your children will keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their children also shall sit upon your throne forevermore. For the Lord has chosen Zion for himself. He has longed for her to be his habitation. This shall be my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I have a delight therein. I will bless her provisions with increase, and will satisfy her poor with bread. I will clothe her priests with salvation, and all her saints shall rejoice and sing. There shall I make the horn of David flourish. I have prepared a lantern for my anointed. As for his enemies, I shall clothe them with shame, but upon his head shall his crown flourish. Romans chapter 16, verses 25 through 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings and has been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Gospel is Luke chapter 1 verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, 
You shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Good stuff. So, uh, you know, one of the chief saints of the Advent season is uh, St. Lucy, who celebrate on December 13th. Oh, St. Lucy. St. Lucy. Hmm. Lucy is one of those kind of early virgin martyrs, Lucy of Syracuse. Not Lucille. No. That seems an unlikely name for a saint. Lucy? Yeah. That's good. <laughs> Luciana. I mean, I think there'll be another way of putting it. But oh, there you go. In any case, um, yeah, I think 407, she was martyred under the Diocletian persecution. No, oh. th- not 407. 307. Oh. Get a straight. Century, yep. <laughs> um, okay. But uh, why was she anyway, martyred? So she's, she's one of these who preferred death to marriage. The great heroism of, like, you know, early Christian women martyrs. Uh, martyrs. That's why she was martyred. Yeah, that was, that was part of it. You know. But, mm. okay. you know, anyway, another minor saint we commemorate during Advent is um, St. Ambrose on uh, December 7th. So I've been, I've been reading Ambrose's uh, three, three books on virginity, which has been great. It's great reading. Really? I've been thinking about, you know, it's, it's quite appropriate that the, one of the major themes of Advent, it's not actually one I've contemplated, I don't know, I don't remember having spent time with this, but that theme of virginity, right? This is, this is, uh, it's true. It's tied in with the whole themes of preparation and the way that the Lord makes, you know, it's all of the characters are fundamentally virginal. <laughs> right from John the Baptist to the Virgin Mary to the angels, you know, kind of like, but yeah, wow. <laughs> but you know, I and and Ambrose's on virginity. That's it's been a long time since I've read it, but just reading it again, it's like, man, this is so extraordinarily beautiful, like as a vision for human life and flourishing, and and completely unrealistic. It's stupid, <laughs> <laughs> but but like it's just it's just absolutely compelling, and like the way that he uses the scriptures and the way that he kind of like he takes sort of like the the pagan practices surrounding virginity and the philosophical practices surrounding virginity, and just like kind of like ah oh, you know you guys you're kind of pointing at a good thing, but like you just don't actually get it. But this is the real this is the real deal, right? Like 
And we, we used to gather just like all of these types from the scriptures. And it's just, it's, again, it's just beautiful. It's wow. extraordinary. Like really good Advent reading. I think maybe I'll, I'll you know what? Up. Yeah, you're right. The, the, the theme and topic of virginity is completely entwined with Advent. Yeah. Huh. But, you know, it's also just profoundly dangerous. Right. Like, you know, I mean, I guess we're all a little bit embarrassed about the whole purity culture thing at this point. Right. <laughs> and, and just the kinds of <laughs> scrupulosity that, that, that sort of focus on, on purity or virginity can kind of produce the kinds of repression and, you know, dysfunction that, that, this, that the call, well, I mean, it's not just virginity, it's the call to asceticism, right? Yeah. And the call to, denial and discipline that like it, there's it it is undoubtedly true right like these there is the possibility and we see you know it, it's manifest in human history of people who accomplish great things it's usually attended with some sort of habit ha habit of discipline right you know no no one becomes an olympic gold medalist by accident <laughs> Well, you right. know, the thing is, though, I'm going to push back on that. Sure. Mary was betrothed. Mm -hmm. She had no intention of being a virgin. Right. She was not aimed at being virginal. Mm -hmm. God intervened. I'm sure our Catholic friends would hate this, but this is a genuine observation of the right. text and the situation. God intervened and caused her to conceive while she was still a virgin, but she was not, it was not an intentional decision for her to remain a virgin until all this took place. Right. And then, you know, she wasn't a virgin after that. Jesus had brothers. Yeah. Well, there are those that disagree with that yeah but, i'm sure they would but i think they're wrong yeah so no I, and i mean i think that that's i, I was going to make a similar point that like ambrose actually in in book two chapter three I think, he kind of just like goes on and on about like look at all these virtues of mary right and, you know that's actually it it's kind of the 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 work that he's doing it's a lot of inference right and it's a lot of projecting onto Mary like the qualities of 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 kind of like these consecrated virgins yeah. that that he's wanting to extol, right? Right. And like actually we're not given Mary. We're not given Mary as a as somebody to emulate. No. Like that we are not given a lot of details about her manner of life. Like those are kind of constructed or again it's a projection and not that that actually the quality of Mary's virginity, right, as as you point out is not one of preparation it's one of it's one of absence it's not what she did it's what she it's what she didn't do right and and not what and there's a weird way in which the way that we frame her virginity like when amber becomes about what she does she does in not doing <laughs> when really there's 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 a kind of a an accidental quality to her well, and, well, here's the thing. Here, this is this is this gets down once again to the root, like 
problem with Christendom, like down through the ages, it's not just American evangelicalism. It's this mm -hmm. general mindset that you want to interpret this by isolating this imagined you and make it about that and make it that God came to her and did this with her because of her virtue. Right. And actually, that that is not as helpful as if we would take the text in the situation as it actually sits there and say, she was betrothed, she was not intending to be a virgin, she was just some woman. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. she got singled out for this extraordinary purpose that she had no idea. She was not a scholar. She was not waiting in the temple for decades, waiting for the Messiah to appear. She was none of that. She was just this girl. Yeah. You know? And God, God chose by his own means to intervene in history with her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you know what? That speaks to me way more than that she was this, you know, incredibly virtuous, virginal, you know, intentional, you know, all, all of this BS that's not real. It's not there, mm -hmm. you know, because I'm none of those things and I will never be. I'm, I don't have right. the slightest interest in being a virgin. Yeah. Right. <laughs> or capacity. <laughs> yeah. Or capacity. I don't have the interest yeah. or capacity to be a virgin. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so, you know, it comforts me to know that God will, you know, use normal people in a normal situation who seem to have no connection to the stream of history and the stream of events about to unfold and say, you know, by my own design and by my own decree, I am reaching out to you by my own initiative yeah. and I am creating this ex nihilo, right? Yeah. And so it's almost like what he's looking for is the most ex nihilo, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, situation right. Right. possible to, to act. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's something you told me a few years ago, which I hope is not inappropriate to share. But, you know, oh, man, you, you, you said, well, you know, I believe in the virgin birth because, you know, like it's in the Bible. But actually, I kind of think it would be more appropriate if Mary were like a whore. Well, <laughs> 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 you know, I hadn't ever kind of looked at it that way. And it's like, about the, well, you know, I, I, I kind of see what the point you're trying to make there, you know, but yeah, um. You know, and, and, and absolutely, like, and, and this gets to the Second Samuel reading, right? Like, this is exactly the kind of project that we, you know, you know, again, the, Ambrose is on virginity is beautiful. Everyone should go and read it. Like, what are you waiting for? <laughs> it's, it's extraordinary. But then, you know, we look at, this is what we, we set out to do is we, we set out to, it, when we have the peace from our enemies we have the kind of like stability of life to think about okay what is what does a good life look like what does it what does it look like to be a good christian a good moral person to go and and let our light shine before men or however we want to frame our our witness and our our 
our virtue, right? We're going to honor God by doing these things. Mm -hmm. And that God, God's message over and against our, our good intentions is like, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build the house. That's exactly what I was about to say. Yes. You know, and, and that and the entire pattern of like Mary was obscure mm -hmm. and not actually virginal, none of that, right? And so God just chose her, right? And then you look at David. Well, when he got chosen to be king and was anointed as king, we all know the story. He was the last son that he looked at, mm -hmm. you know? And they're like, well, you don't want to, you know, that's all. It's like, well, you must have some one other son somewhere, right? It's like, well, you know, there's David. He's out, you know, doing the sheep. He's nothing, you know. It's like, well, bring him in. And sure enough, that's who God chose. Mm -hmm. And so there's there's a similar element to this that people were chosen by God himself, by his own initiative, to become extraordinary. Mm -hmm. You know, and not that being extraordinary is a law. I mean. What, who was Mary after Jesus was born? You know, even Jesus himself was like, who is my mother and my brother and my sister? And it wasn't her. Mm -hmm. Sorry. <laughs> you know, he's kind of rebuking them, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there. And um, so, you know, I think when we, when we balk at, at recognizing these patterns in the lives of people in the scriptures, and we want to read into it this kind of virtue, this kind of deservedness, um, we really, really miss the point that we're trying to make it a story where we controlled and summoned the blessing of God mm -hmm. because, and it, and it suggests that therefore we have this kind of control mm -hmm. over God to cause the blessing to come. And so we read that into the story of Mary, right? right? And we read that into the story of David. And instead of seeing it as this is God working on his own initiative interjecting himself into history using, you know, almost random, nondescript, like not blessed people mm -hmm. and making them the blessed one. Right. And, and I mean, Mary is the extreme example, mm -hmm. you know, and I think part of, of the, the, um, you know, preparation aspect of Advent is to say, okay, I am nothing. I am not really particularly virtuous. Mm -hmm. I'm not particularly unvirtuous. Mm -hmm. I'm normal virtuous. Yeah. Yeah. Even my vices aren't especially remarkable. Yeah. My <laughs> vices aren't that, you know, aren't that, you know, scandalous or anything. Right, right. And so, I mean, and I, I hear I, I live on the edge of the, you know, United States and this little town and just, basically disconnected from everything. And you know what? If God chooses to 
come here and do something extraordinary, that is not up to me. It's just like with Mary. It's mm-hmm. just like with David. You know, if he's going to do something with us, that's that's on him. So, in the end, in summary, we tend in our flesh, we want to make the story about us and what we did and what we do and that it's our adventure when in actuality faith the story is about what god and how god acted and and how god chose to do things and that's the preparation to say the story is not about me Mm -hmm. i get swept up into a larger story of this is what god is doing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and to see that as what is glorious in these stories. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, you know, bring, bring Ambrose a little bit more into the dialogue with yeah, a yeah. little passage from On Virginity. This is uh, yeah. book one, chapter three, section 11, for anyone who's keeping score. <laughs> Who can comprehend that by human understanding, which not even nature has included in her laws? Or who can explain in ordinary language that which is above the course of nature? Virginity has brought from heaven that which it may imitate on earth. And not unfittingly has she sought her manner of life from heaven, who has found for herself a spouse in heaven. She, passing beyond the clouds, air, angels, and stars, has found the word of God in the very bosom of the Father, and has drawn him into herself with her whole heart. For who, having found so great a good, will forsake it? For your name is as ointment poured out. Therefore have the maidens loved you and drawn you. And indeed, what I have said is not my own, since they who marry not nor are given in marriage are as the angels in heaven. Let us not then be surprised if they are compared to the angels who are joined to the Lord of angels. Who then can deny that this mode of life has a source in heaven? which we don't easily find on earth, except since God came down into the members of an earthly body. Then a virgin conceived, and the word became flesh, that flesh might become God. But someone will say, but Elijah is seen to have had nothing to do with the embraces of bodily love, and therefore he was carried by a chariot into heaven. Therefore he appeared glorified with the Lord, and therefore he is to come as the forerunner of the Lord's advent. And Miriam, taking the timbrel, led the dances with maidenly modesty. But consider whom she was then representing. Was she not a type of the church, who is a virgin with unstained spirit, joins together the religious gatherings of the people to sing divine song? For we read that there were virgins appointed also at the temple of Jerusalem. But what says the apostle? These things happened to them in a figure, that they might be signs of what was to come. For the figure is shown in a few, The life exists in many. But in truth, after that, the Lord, coming in our flesh, joined together the Godhead and flesh without any confusion or mixture. Then the practice of life, the life of heaven spreading throughout the whole world was implanted in human bodies. This is that which angels ministering on earth signified should come to pass, which ministry should be offered to the Lord with the service of an unstained body. This is that heavenly service which the host of rejoicing angels spoke of for the earth. We have then the authority of antiquity from old, the fullness of the setting forth from Christ himself.
Mm-hmm. There you go. I, it starts with that uh, the virginity is like drawing the heavenly blessing, as, as you were talking about earlier. Yeah. But then there's this other dimension of, okay, so here was the virginal type is prefigured. And now there's, and Ambrose like explicitly says, I'm not saying that marriage is bad. Like marriage is great, but virginity is even better. <laughs> and this sort of whole, it becomes quite condign with the whole culture and ethos of late ancient medieval Christianity of, of these communities of people living in, or supposedly living in celibacy or whole, I guess we should say we can, we can judge people by their ideal, not their actuality. Like they're organized communities organized around this particular ideal of, of virtue. Yeah. Which involves the, we could say like the virginal lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I think, th- and there's, there are other sections of this that do, do get into things that are particular to the, to what we might say, like the sociology of the time, right? There are some extreme inconveniences to marriage. That's true to this day. True. And, and the setting forth of like an alternative, that may be the most charitable way to read it, like outside of some of the rhetoric, which makes it like that, the, how compelling, how closely he ties this with just, and the obvious implication of redemption is that we should, Maybe not everybody, but most of us should probably go and just become monks and nuns. <laughs> All right. But to set forth an alternative way of being in the world, the alternative lifestyle, the countercultural possibility that space is opened up by the sort of like uh, scriptural eroticism that there's so much of this that's Song of Songs. That, that's what I was going to point to. It's like, okay, first I've got to say I'm like, bristle at the Ambrose passage, you know? Sure. And yeah, no, that's fair. It's like, wow. Um, <laughs> just that, at that whole kind of mindset. But I think the thing is that we see the virginal as being a, it's emasculating mm-hmm. and it is a withdrawal of eros mm-hmm. it's an absence of eros and actually it's a transference of eros to something greater mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to a greater eros so i liked that he pointed to that oh yeah that and that pervades the whole text right yeah and and it's just palpable and that's what i think part of what makes it so compelling as an overall yeah so that is useful but i think it's a little misplaced because i actually think Looking at Ephesians 5, this mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church, is that the marriage bed is like an embodiment or almost like a metaphor that we can understand the kind of energy and passion Mm -hmm. and desire that are involved with God's feelings toward us. Yeah. And it, it's just when you have children and all of the problems involved with being a father and a mother and mm-hmm. and how irascible and basically diabolically evil children are and all of that <laughs> and just entirely selfish and crazy. Yeah. And yet how beautiful and how much you love them anyway, none of it matters. And And you can look at that and go, this is how God the Father feels toward me. No matter how irascible and mischievous and just downright evil I am, even in that, he delights in me. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like I delight in my children and I delight in their mischief. Yeah. And that's pretty, you know, how do you explain that? Mm-hmm. But that's a picture of his father heart toward mm-hmm. us mm-hmm. in our, and in an even greater way, our experience of, you know, romantic and physical, the, the erotic and physical <clears throat> sense yeah. is a pointer toward a greater eros. Absolutely. And that people who are want to, or I, I don't know how you want to put it, to, to rest in that greater eros, mm-hmm. it's not that they have become emasculated. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's really important to highlight this. We can read back into, into the virginity of Mary, however we're going to frame that. Yeah. And it per, it's pervasive in Ambrose's text that I think that our, and particularly some like purity culture discourse and so forth, our intuitions about virginity have to do mostly with virgi- abstinence, right? That's what we're thinking of like sexual withdrawal and, and, asceticism like not doing particular things right whereas for ambrose in particular virginity is is much has much more to do with detachment it has much more to do with them not being encumbered by having children spouse or whatever and well of course even that is that is a a bad aesthetic mm -hmm. for wanting to be virginal Mm -hmm. you know but but yeah certainly but the it's interesting and like and counterintuitive for us approaching with a sort of like uh, superficial assumption of virginity equals abstinence to read Ambrose's text like, oh, this is actually quite erotic. Right. <laughs> yes. This is very charged. Yeah. With a certain kind of really, frankly, like it's, it's a sexual identity. And I guess the way to, he quotes this somewhere, you're reading your book and you can't be bothered to eat <laughs> because man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that's actually yeah. uh, analogously what the life of virginity that Ambrose is, is, is setting forth is one that is <laughs> so profoundly entwined with this sort of divine eroticism that yeah. there's not really space for, for a human eroticism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just reminds me of the, once again, St. Byung Chul Han. <laughs> He's got this, uh, the book is Saving Beauty, and chapter three is the aesthetics of veiling. Mm-hmm. And so, I obviously, I have to read this passage, don't oh, certainly. I? Certainly, yeah, go for All it. Right. He's talking about uh, beauty is veiled, and he says, the veiling also eroticizes the text. God, Augustine says, intentionally obscures the Holy Scripture through the use of metaphorical style burying things under figures of speech in order to make them an object of desire. The beautiful dress of metaphors eroticizes the scriptures. Thus, the dress is essential to the scriptures, even to the beautiful. The technique of veiling turns hermeneutics into eroticism. It maximizes the pleasure of the text and turns reading into an act of love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the fact that one of the attributes of God is that he is invisible mm-hmm. and that Jesus ascended to the right hand of God and the church has been waiting for him for 2,000 years 
is so indicative of the 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 spirit of advent yeah it's mm-hmm. so veiled yeah you know and there's such an element of you have not seen him you love him mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and and in fact not seeing him increases the beauty and the expectation of eros and love mm-hmm. and the aesthetic power of our relationship to him and his relationship to us because there is this prolonged desperate longing yeah. and i don't know if that has to do with virginity or not maybe quite the opposite mm-hmm. we're just aimed at a higher greater eros and i think actually walking by faith the more you perceive what your what the holy spirit is doing and what your place in it is as being in the stream of that eros the more the more powerful the virtue that you're experiencing is mm-hmm. like virtue becomes eroticized instead of it being the transgressive that is erotic it's mm-hmm. The, the virtuous, yeah, the virtuous that is eroticized. Oh, that's good. Yeah, yeah, and I think we're given in the season of Advent and the mystery of Christmas, what Paul talks about at the end of Romans. There, that mystery written in the prophetic word for all the nations, now unveiled, revealed. Yeah, we're given this image of the Virgin Mary and this figure, this enigma to contemplate, and we have an example in. Ambrose and like early Christianity, these sort of sociologies of virginal imitation, right? Which interweave lots of different, actually disparate pieces, right? And this is actually part of the, the, the dangerous opportunity of being alive and not being a church father and dead and that we are not actually invited into sort of the slavish imitation of the kind of like rules of of social rules laid down by the fathers yeah but that that we are actually we encounter the mystery of our salvation which invites us into this sort of intense divine eroticism yeah which also then has these sorts of strange and ambiguous rules of a new sociology new sociality a this sort of like alternative culture alternative society that arises from the 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 chosen attention towards and chosen preference towards the divinely erotic right yeah that facilitates that by virtue of not becoming encumbered by other things not because those other encumbrances are bad but because the these divine things are are so sweet to those who have chosen them and that that doesn't need to look like ambrose's whatever community is forming in milan which interestingly like he complains about the fact is like, man there are all these women coming from all over to come and and be consecrated virgins here and i can't convince the local girls like this is quite interesting i wonder <laughs> some of these little pieces 
There's so many little bits that are woven together there, right? Yeah. It, it's, it's like these quotidian struggles of pastors. <laughs> like things are not playing out the way that I expect. <laughs> and this like one moment he's got like this really, uh, this is part of the danger of theological rhetoric is that the argument is so well constructed that you lose that the sense of, oh, this is actually an appropriation of scripture. This is not what scripture itself is saying, which is important to maintain that distance. But then, yeah, that those things just are stacked up next to each other. Yeah. But that is the, that is the mystery that we, that we inhabit. It's, it's a, the simple juxtaposition or the mingling of these two things, a virgin and mother, yeah, like heaven and earth, God and man, right? Yeah. They are inseparably joined in the mystery of the incarnation. Justice and mercy. Yes, yes. And and we just fall down like... They this. kiss each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That we cannot hold all of these things in our head at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, we are, we are simply present to the terrors and mercies of the God who breaks into human history revealing these things to us and yeah it's so beautiful it's so beautiful and and it just reinforces that you go to first john 4 in the essential like definition of the church is that we have come to know mm-hmm. and have mm-hmm. believed the love that God has for us. Mm-hmm. That is what Christianity is. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what it is. And it's just beautiful. And this, that's the exact story with Mary. She did not wake up that morning going, I am going to pray down the blessing of God. I'm going to call down God's, God's, you know, action and mercy. And I'm going to, be the person that is going to conceive the Messiah mm-hmm. miraculously. It wasn't a thought in her head. Right. It was not by her, her, it wasn't her virtue. It wasn't her fervent faith. It wasn't her action. It was none of those things. In fact, the fact that she was of the lineage of David was a total accident of history by her account. It it just shows all the more that it was God planning all this from before the beginning of time mm-hmm. to come about, you know? So. Well, and even if it were, right, even if she did have the intention of by, by virtue of her great asceticism and virtue and preparation, like she was going to be the mother of Messiah. Like, I guess it's a better, that's a better Mary did you know yeah <laughs> that even then what as in second Samuel 7 what God says it's not the house that you have built but the house that I I'm right for you that's it I gotta say about that song I've always loved that song and people diss on it you yeah. know Mary did you know it's, no she didn't know how could you know that mm-hmm. it's a I don't know what people gripe about with it but it's like no it's beautiful it, what they're saying is this is astonishing mm-hmm. it is astonishing and i love that song for that it's astonishing 
Yeah. You know, stop nitpicking about stupid little crap. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, be astonished. <laughs> you know? Yeah. There's there's so little astonishment in the church sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But God is acting. God is doing this. Right. This yeah. isn't a story of something that, it is a story of something that happened in history, but it's also a story of this is the way God is. This is what he does. Right. Exactly. You know? And that's actually a, a limitation, an ironic limitation of the Christian faith, right? Is that because we have the whole story, there's a temptation of, of circling the wagons around it. Yeah. And being unastonishable. And I think this is, but this is always the, the temptation of the people of God is to, is to despise what is familiar, which is God's redeeming act, right? And, and take for granted. This is who God is. This is what God does. And we move from being presuming and not assured <laughs> rather than, than not presuming but assured as we pray. Right. Yeah, there's always a, I've noticed this, if you say, wow, I was I was gonna go down to Olympia and the the bus broke down and then my car I had my car and this guy needed a ride and then we ended up being like these incredible friends and he's this inventor guy and full of all this like frenetic energy and I'm so inspired and we texting and calling each other and doing all and, and he's this believer and it was just an awesome connection. And people are like, Yeah, of course, it was a divine appointment or something like it's just nothing and it's like no it's astonishing it's a surprise it's a lot of fun and i'm so humbled mm -hmm. it's the same way i met you what an astonishing gift that we are to each other mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know i'm so enriched yeah what a wonder yeah to make real space and this is you know another way we can imitate ambrose is like it is worth going deep into our astonishment yes at what is a such a kind of like normal thing as like making a new friend to say no this is epiphanic this is the heavens torn open yeah and like god's mercies uniquely revealed in like history altering axial fashion yeah this is something that is unique and beautiful yeah and it's as though it has never happened before. Yeah, at the same time, acknowledging that this is a template and this is an ordinary experience, but that really opening ourselves to wonder and leverage. But the, the ordinariness is a veil. Right. Right. Mm. The truth of it is that what is veiled is ultimately beautiful. Yes. Yeah. That leveraging the whole repository of the prophetic word to give voice to the astonishment that's easy to lose under the veil. Yeah. And you know what? That's a, that is an important part of the Advent mindset, isn't it? Mm. Is we see these, we do it every year, all just normal Christmas, Jesus, baby, major animals. This is so, it's a trope. To say that this becomes so ordinary 
ritual. It's useless ritual. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's a struggle. This is the struggle every year. To me, this is Advent is let's go back to this and let's look at Mary with new eyes and let's be astonished all over again and be astonished in new ways and to be prepared for the birth of Christ by being astonished at the work of God. The, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Yes, It is shocking. It is the craziest thing to believe ever. Mm-hmm. And it is an extraordinary thing to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the, <clears throat> the irony and the paradoxical requirement of being prepared to be surprised, being prepared to be astonished, being prepared to be unprepared. Right. 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 Yeah. It's the Han idea of being able to not be able. Mm -hmm. Can you prepare yourself to be able to not predict and see the ordinariness? Mm -hmm. Can you be surprised? Are you ready to be surprised? Can you, can you empty yourself of your own interpretive thoughts of all this Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, and let it, let the the work of God wash over you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It is a paradox. Mm-hmm. How can you prepare mm-hmm. for that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I think, and you know what? Mary was not prepared. Yeah, that is the. I don't know. Every activity, as soon as it's articulated, becomes routine and unhelpful, right? But whatever it is, like wherever we are coming. Whatever we're bringing into Christmas, like in the season of Advent, like we just bring it. And then that's sometimes confessing like how bored we are with the Christmas story and how like our stomach, we feel like sick to our stomach because of all the sentimentality or like I ate too many Christmas cookies. Or, <laughs> yeah. You know, wh- whatever that is, like bringing that and I think laying that bare before God and before those that we trust in the Lord. Well, so I have to confess. Here's my confession. I shouldn't do this on a podcast. I just, we can delete it later if we need I to. just love, I love the crass commercialism, mm-hmm. the Christmas trees, the lights, the presents, mm-hmm. Santa Claus, yeah. the whole, all of the secular Christmas music. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nat King Cole singing White Christmas or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think it's awesome. I love it. Don't tell me not to enjoy that. You know, don't strip the wonder of that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It it is all a picture of this. Amen. You know? And the very idea of these wrapped presents that sit there enticingly and you don't know what they... When you're a kid, right? And there they are and you shake them and you're like, I wonder what it is. And you remember all that. Mm -hmm. How wonderful. And that's what we had. The, the scriptures and the faith, it's a wrapped present that we're not allowed to open yet. We were guessing, but man, we want it. Though we have not seen him, we love it. It's veiled beauty. Yeah. And, and I think the incarnation is like the first kind of glimpse. 
It's like the present you get to open on Christmas Eve. I don't know about you, but we would always, we were so excited about Christmas. We were about to explode, you know, as kids, right? It's like, all right, we're going to let you open one present. You have to do the rest tomorrow morning. Yeah. It's okay. So the incarnation is like that. Mm-hmm. But what's coming, that's the real deal, you know? Yeah. So. Well. I receive your confession and you're absolved. <laughs> you know, this is one of the things that we can bring. And that's legit. And yeah, you know, like I I remember having that conversation. I think it was last year I had this conversation where people were like, Oh, it's become a new thing is to just talk about how hard the holidays are for some people. I'm like, we don't have to talk about that. The holidays can just be good for some people too. <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, I would be the chief candidate for that. Yeah. You right. know, I mean, sure. wow. Last Christmas, it was the worst. It was, I think that's the worst Christmas possible that I spent Christmas Eve in the hospital. Betty had cancer. We didn't know why, how bad it was. She got a feeding tube put in. And then Christmas Day is when they said it's spread and she has stage four cancer. That was Christmas Day. That was my Christmas last year. But there was also Christmas last year was Betty so weak she couldn't even hardly lift her arms singing Oh Holy Night with her perfect voice ringing through the entire wing of the hospital and all of the nurses gathered around crying. And it was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. I don't know. If that's supposed to be difficult or if that's supposed to be beautiful, it's both. Yeah. It is what it is. It is. I can't. I'm still going to enjoy Christmas. Mm-hmm. I, I, I bought way too many presents for my grandsons. <laughs> you know? Yeah. There's no moral development intended in any of those presents. I think it's what we're given principally in, in the life and rhythms of church and in the scriptures, right? These things are all just glued together. The Psalms, what on earth, some of the emotional arcs of these Psalms, like they make no sense to me. (laughs) But it's just it's space for somebody somewhere who's feeling this. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I don't even know that I've ever felt the way that those. <laughs> right. All this describing. stuff about these enemies and shatter their teeth and everything. It's yeah. like, I don't know if I've ever had that bitter of enemies trying to kill me, mm-hmm. like chasing me around. But that is a space people have lived in. Mm-hmm. But, it, and it's not, as you're alluding, like it's not limited to that. It's not it, in the or it's it's also in the ordinary and really honoring that this is sacred. Yeah. What what you experienced last Christmas. Yeah. It was sacred. It was deeply sacred. Mm-hmm. It's the most sacred thing maybe I've ever seen in a way. Also that she was singing, Be still and know that I am God. Oh. Wow. 
anyway. I guess part of my task this Advent is thinking through how to how to remember that and how to incorporate that into my experience of Advent and Christmas. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, that work is never done. That's the yeah. The nature of uh, memory. Yeah. Okay. I have to confess also another confession. I'm full of confessions. I was not excited about these verses Mm -hmm. at all. I'm like, man, they chose bad verses. (laughs) But that turned out really good, didn't it? Amen. Yeah. There's uh, all kinds of treasures. Yeah. The scriptures. Lovely. Mm-hmm. Really good. Let's conclude with a word of prayer. Sovereign God, in the womb of Mary, your eternal word took on our mortal flesh to dwell among us. Fill us likewise with your spirit, that in lives of humility and grace we may herald the coming of your kingdom through the child who is our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Mm-hmm.